Many of us, when we hear or think we'll be in a spontaneous situation, we get very defensive. We see it as threatening or challenging. Just think, if somebody said, you're going to have Q&A at the end of your meeting, you, you might feel real threatened. So seeing those as opportunities to extend, expand, and collaborate can fundamentally change how we approach things. And then the final mindset step has to do with listening. Listening is critically important in all communication, but especially spontaneous speaking. If we don't listen well, which is unfortunately how most of us listen, we listen just enough to get the gist, we might miss the nuance or subtlety that helps us respond better. Hey, everybody, I'm Lori Rudiman, and this is Punk Rock HR. In each episode, we take a realistic but slightly cynical approach to fix and work bringing you raw and honest conversations with disruptors, innovators, and even random working people like you and me with one goal, to reshape the workplace as you know it. But sometimes we take a break from all that and talk about real life, like relationships and well-being and kids and animals. And along the way, we drop a few F-bombs too. Whether you're an HR professional trying to do the right thing, a leader looking to connect with their people, are just fascinated by workplace dynamics, this is your destination to fix work once and for all. On this episode, I'm lucky enough to be joined by Matt Abrahams. He's the author of the new book, Think Faster, Talk Smarter, How to Speak Successfully When You're Put on the Spot. On today's episode, we talk about Matt's new book, his podcast, which helps you become a better and clearer communicator. And what to do to get out of your own way to communicate more efficiently at work and in your personal life. So if you're interested in really doing things differently, well, sit back and enjoy this conversation with Matt Abrahams on this week's Punk Rock HR. Hey, Matt, welcome to the podcast. I am super excited to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for bringing the energy. Listen, before we get started talking about all things communication, why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you're all about? Thank you for the opportunity. I am somebody who is passionate about communication. I believe communication is critical to our success in our personal and professional lives. I teach strategic communication at Stanford's Graduate School of Business, where I've been for 13 plus years. I am a podcast host, Think Fast, Talk Smart, and I've just written a book, Think Faster, Talk Smarter, all about spontaneous speaking. And you've learned one thing about me already. I'm not very creative with names, but I am hopefully creative with communication. That's the goal. You know, sometimes people can be too creative for their own good. Have you found that to be true? And then they get in a whirlwind of just confusion, right? And complexity. What do you, what do you think about that? Absolutely. Sometimes we we can try too hard. You know, we, we can add that one extra creative element that destroys the whole thing. So I think creativity is fantastic. And I think we should all challenge ourselves to be more creative and open-minded. But we also have to apply some constraints and breaks occasionally to make sure that we we don't go overboard or spend way too much time iterating instead of actually doing. I appreciate the fact that you're helping people like me, just average, ordinary individuals, be clearer in our communications. So can you tell me why is it so hard for us to be clear? 
Well, part of it is anxiety, right? We get really, really nervous and we get in our heads. And when we do that, it, it actually boils down to a very simple notion, cognitive bandwidth. We just don't have the mental focus to focus on what we're saying because we're so in our heads about what we're worried about. So that's a big part of it. The other part is that we, we take people on a journey of our discovery as we're speaking and thinking about answers and coming up with ideas. And that can lead us to listing and being very, very detailed oriented in a, in a place where it's not necessary. So clarity is all about packaging up your information so it's relevant and on point for the people listening or reading what you're doing. And if we can focus on the needs of those we are communicating to and what's important for them, it helps us be more concise and precise in what we're saying. Well, speaking about taking us on a journey and helping us be more clear in this world, you've written this amazing new book. So can you tell us a little bit about it? Thank you. Yeah. 10 years ago, the deans at the Stanford Business School came to me and said, we have a problem. Our amazingly bright and talented students are choking when it comes to cold calling. You know, when that mean, evil professor says, what do you think? And you have to respond. Our students who knew the answers were unable to articulately state them. And they came to me and they said, can you help? As the communication guy, can you help? So I did a deep dive into lots of different academic areas of study, psychology, anthropology, communication, neuroscience, even improvisation and acting. And as a result, created a methodology that all of our Stanford MBAs have the chance to take within their first three weeks of being on campus. And ever since we've been doing this, the students report feeling more comfortable and confident in these high stakes, spontaneous situations. And the professors see their answers as being more complete and more engaging. And it turns out this methodology doesn't just help with answering questions at an academic institution. It helps all of us answer questions, give feedback, make small talk, introduce ourselves and others. So it's a set of tools to help you feel better in those spontaneous speaking moments. Hmm. Before we learn about the set of tools and the methodology, I just want to debunk a myth out there. And I know you're passionate about debunking myths. So a lot of people feel that you're either born a communicator or you're not. So it is absolutely a skill that you can learn. Communication is something that we can all hone and develop. Now, as you said, many of us feel that we either have the gift of gab or we don't. But in fact, it is something that you can work on. Now, some of us, either by temperament or past experience, might have a leg up. You know, I see it as ascending a mountain. Some of us might be closer to the top than others, but all of us can move up the mountain. And it's important that we take the time to actually work on our communication. We know that communication impacts people's personal and professional lives. When you survey employers and ask, what are some of the top skills you need? Communication, if not the top, is always close to the top. And when you ask people about friendships and romantic relationships, communication is always towards the top in terms of an important trait and skill they seek out. So we need to work on these skills. And if you think about it, speaking in the moment, spontaneous speaking, is much more frequent than any planned presenting or pitching or running meetings with agendas. So we need to take the time to focus on all communication, but especially that which happens in the moment. Hmm. It makes me think that spontaneous speaking isn't all that spontaneous, and neither is the answer to getting better at that. What is it that makes it so hard? 
Certainly. And, and you're right. Uh, the book and, and the whole approach to spontaneous speaking has lots of counterintuitive ideas, like you can prepare to be spontaneous. But if you think about it, anybody who's ever played a sport or played jazz music knows that you can prepare to be in the moment and spontaneous. Athletes train a lot for different situations. So when they're in the moment, they know how to respond or have had some experience. Now, beyond anxiety, I think for many of us, when we speak in the moment, we want to do it right. We want to give the right answer, the best feedback. We want to be the most interesting in small talk. And that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on ourselves. And we actually end up judging and evaluating in our, ourselves in a way that counteracts or works against us achieving those goals. So I have this mantra that I tell my MBA students on the very first day of class. I say, Let's try to maximize mediocrity. And you'd be amazed, their jaws drop. Nobody has ever told them to be mediocre. But the logic here is, if you take that pressure off yourself and just get the job done, whatever it is, introducing yourself, answering a question, you actually free up resources to do it really well. So one of the reasons it's challenging is anxiety. The other reason is that we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Hmm. I'm laughing because if I've done anything well in my life, it's maximize mediocrity. <laughs> so I feel real good about my life strategy suddenly. You know, but but my hunch is in being willing just to get things done. That's what's allowed you to be successful. So while it sounds counterintuitive, it actually is a really useful tool. Yeah, well, I like that you've thought a lot about this and you actually do have a methodology with several steps to help us be better communicators. And you call it the talk smarter methods. So can you take us through that method? What's in it and what's it all about? Yeah. So the methodology has six steps. The first four steps have to do with mindset. The second two steps have to do with messaging. And we've already talked about some of the components. The very first step is managing anxiety. It looms large in all communication. I don't believe we can ever truly overcome our anxiety around communication. It's built into being human, but we can certainly learn to manage the symptoms and sources. So the first step is learning a set of tools to help do that. The second step is exactly what we just talked about, reducing that pressure we put on ourselves. It's focusing on connection, not perfection. So there are lots of things we can do to connect with our audience that removes that pressure that we feel to do it right. The third step has to do with reframing these spontaneous speaking situations as opportunities, not threats. Many of us, when we hear or think we'll be in a spontaneous situation, we get very defensive. We see it as threatening or challenging. Just think, if somebody said, you're going to have Q&A at the end of your meeting, you, you might feel real threatened. So seeing those as opportunities to extend, expand, and collaborate can fundamentally change how we approach things. And then the final mindset step has to do with listening. Listening is critically important in all communication, but especially spontaneous speaking. If we don't listen well, which is unfortunately how most of us listen, we listen just enough to get the gist, we might miss the nuance or subtlety that helps us respond better. So those are the first four steps around mindset, anxiety management, connection over perfection, see this, these situations as opportunities, not threats, and to listen for the bottom line. The second and final part uh, are two steps that have to do with the actual messages you create. We need to have structure so we don't ramble and we package information up nicely for our audience. And then finally, as we talked about earlier, we don't want to ramble. We need to have our message be focused. So the final step is how do we focus our messages so it is remembered? My mother has this wonderful saying, tell the time, don't build the clock. 
And many of us, when we spontaneously speak, are clock builders rather than just telling the time. So by practicing those six steps or any one of those six steps, you can learn to be a better, more comfortable, confident, spontaneous speaker. I'm really taken with those first four steps, and I think I'm so moved by them because they really speak to the relationship we have with ourselves. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Absolutely. And this is a big issue. We all bring our backgrounds, our our experiences to bear when we communicate. And the context in which we communicate influences and affects that communication and our perceptions of ourselves. So issues of power, status, expectations, norms, all of that influence people. And those who tend to have lower status or traditionally lower status and power uh, can feel very adversely affected. And the ability to speak spontaneously, how to get your idea heard in the moment is actually a really empowering tool. It's a way of bringing your voice into the conversation. So I spend a lot of time with people who traditionally have remained quiet or feel that their voices aren't valued as much, talking about ways to wedge your position into a conversation without seeing overly assertive or making excuses. And there are ways to do that. And and so we all have to be thinking about the value we bring to these interactions and find ways that make us feel comfortable sharing our voices. And it is absolutely critical. And I work very hard and closely with people who are traditionally underrepresented in some of these contexts you mentioned to help them feel empowered and actually practice sharing their points of view in a way that that gets their voices heard and influences the action and direction of the groups they're speaking to. Do you work side by side with therapists? Because I feel like that's what I would have needed as a 20 something year old woman in these environments. I'm really I'm kind of serious. Yeah, about no, that no, no, no. You absolutely. have all of these messages from your childhood, right? And then you step into a room with people who are accomplished. Could you give me an example of some coaching or some advice you may have for a younger version of Lori who had to communicate a really important HR policy idea or a business idea? to a group of people who are skeptical, how would I, how would I approach that to maybe put my anxiety at ease first and foremost? So point number one, I think everybody should have a therapist. I think therapy is a, is a very useful tool to help all of us learn about ourselves, grow and develop. Uh, and a lot of the coaching work I do, while not a trained therapist, certainly issues of past experience and challenges arise. So if I were speaking to a younger Lori or anybody like Lori who had some challenging information to deliver in a, in a circumstance where you and others don't feel on equal footing with everybody, I would first recommend that you spend some time really thinking about what is the value of the message you have to the people you're speaking to. Many of us make a fundamental mistake and we just share the information and we don't think about the impact and importance of the information to those we're speaking to. So the more relevant you make it, the more salient and important you can make it, the more likely the other people are to pay attention and want to hear it. So we have to spend some time really thinking about how to frame the message in a way that's meaningful and focused. Second, I am a huge fan of focus grouping and testing information. At Stanford's Business School, we believe in the notion of agile development, minimally viable product design, where you rapidly prototype 
I believe all of those principles apply to communication and messaging. So you should be talking about socializing, getting input from those who will be in that room or know people who will be in that room. There's nothing more powerful than when you walk into a challenging situation and say, when I was talking to Sally and Sarah about this prior, because all of a sudden it's not you speaking, it's you and the others you've talked to about this idea and socialized it with being in that room. And that's important. You also have to make sure that you're very clear from the get-go and remove hedging language. If I go in and say, I sort of think we should implement this policy, that sounds very different than in order to avoid this, we must do that. The, the tone matters. So the words we use, the, the iterations that we do in advance are really important. And certainly we need to practice so that we feel comfortable, that we can get through the material. Now, this doesn't mean memorize. Memorizing actually leads to a whole cascade of bad things. But practicing, many of us spend so much time crafting our messages that we don't spend the time actually practicing. And I don't know about you, but I'm amazingly eloquent in my head. When I open up my mouth, I'm not as lucky. So those are some of the things that I coach everybody, but especially those who feel that they need a little extra to bring their voice to the same level of others in the room. Well, those are wonderful ideas, and I'm particularly moved by the idea of practice. I think practice has been one thing that has served me very well because it does calm down that fight or flight anxiety in my brain or freeze or fawn or whatever it is. Practicing makes me um, kind of come back down to earth and recognize I've done it several times. I can absolutely do it again, and I can deliver it in the moment. Can we talk a little bit about anxiety truly? Because I think this is something that just holds many of us back in our professional and personal communication. You make great and wonderful recommendations throughout the book on how to manage anxiety. Uh, can you give us just a few quick and dirty pointers so that we can all feel like experts after this conversation? Sure, happy to. And I have a lot of information posted online about how to manage anxiety. My first book was called Speaking Up Without Freaking Out. And it's all about anxiety management, 50 techniques that are academically verified. So let me share a few. First, it comes down to managing both symptoms and sources. So I'll give you real quick uh, versions of both. Symptoms are what we physiologically experience. Many of us, when we get nervous, our heart beats faster, we speak faster because we're breathing more quickly, we get a little shaky, we sweat or we, we blush. These are all normal and natural fight or flight responses. Our body responds to speaking in the moment in all communication as if it is under threat. So we invoke fight or flight. Single best thing you can do is take deep belly breaths, the kind you would do if you've ever done yoga or Tai Chi. And what's fascinating, and I learned this from a guest on my podcast, I was fortunate enough to have Andrew Huberman on Think Fast, Talk Smart. He's amazing. And he he's studies breathing and anxiety management. And what he told me is it's the exhale that matters. I cannot tell you how long I've been coaching people to take deep breaths. Never did I focus on the exhale. So the rule of thumb, or if you'll allow me, the rule of lung is you want your exhale to be twice as long as your inhale. So if you take longer exhales, you'll actually take more benefit from the relaxation response. Not only does this calm down your heart rate, reduce some of the shakiness, it slows down your speaking. The faster you breathe, the faster you speak. If you're like me and blush and perspire when you get nervous, that's because your core body temperature is going up. It's like you're exercising when we get nervous, our blood pressure goes up. Holding something cold in the palms of our hand can cool your body down. You, you've seen this in reverse on, on a cold morning. If you've ever held warm tea or coffee in a cup or mug, it warms you up. This will cool you down, reduce the blushing and sweating. Those among many other techniques can manage some of the symptoms. 
I'll give you one source. A source of anxiety for many of us is the goal we're trying to achieve. And we should have goals in our communication, but our goals can make us nervous. My students want to get good grades. The entrepreneurs I teach and coach want to get funding. You might want your podcast to be successful or your project to be accepted. A goal is nothing more than a future outcome. So what's making us nervous is a potential negative future outcome. And we can short circuit that if we become present oriented. By definition, if you're in the present moment, you're not worried about the future. So I can walk around the building, do something physical. I can have a small talk conversation with somebody to bring me present on that topic. I can do some, listen to music or a playlist like athletes do. I can start at 100 and count backwards by some challenging number like 17s. All of that brings you into the present moment. So those are things you can do to manage anxiety, both symptoms and sources. There are many other things. Everybody is different. Not every technique works for every person, but I am convinced in all my years of doing this that people can find some techniques that will help them. Well, I am also particularly taken by the observation that you made earlier that most of us are not good listeners. And boy, that comes close to home for me. So I wonder if we can talk a little bit about being a good listener while you're speaking, while you're communicating. What does that mean and what does it look like? Yeah. So listening is critical to communication. The more and more I do my work on communication, the more and more I learn that listening is really, really important. We tend to listen just for the top line, just get the gist of what somebody is saying. In fact, I I talked with somebody recently who said, listening is simply defined as waiting my turn to speak. And that's not what listening is. We need to listen for the bottom line, the essence of what somebody is saying. And when we listen for the bottom line, we listen very differently. We focus and we pay attention more. And in the book, I, I talk about a methodology that I borrow from a colleague of mine. His name is Collins Dobbs. Collins teaches a course on crucial conversation. And as that, he uses this methodology, but it works really well for listening. It's three things, pace, space, grace. In order to listen well, we have to slow the pace down. We move very quickly. Life comes at us very fast. We have to slow down to listen well. Second, we have to give ourselves space, not just physical space, move to a place where you can hear, but mental space. We have to clear the deck so we can actually focus. So if I'm super busy and being rushed around, maybe the best thing I can do is say, you know what, let's have this conversation in 10 minutes when I can sort of center myself. You were very kind before we started this podcast today. I was coming from a place of of distraction and you said, do you want a few minutes to calm down? And that was very helpful. So thank you. And then finally, grace. Grace, not just to give ourselves permission to really connect through listening, but grace to listen to what we see, not just what we hear. What's in the context? How is the person saying what they're saying? And even more important, we have to give ourselves permission to listen to our intuition in response to what somebody says. So for example, you might say, hey, Matt, how do you think that meeting we just came out of went? And if I just hear those words, I might give you a lot of constructive feedback, but my intuition might be saying, she said that quieter than she usually does. She came out the back door, not the front door. My intuition is saying what you really want in this moment is support, not constructive feedback. That's how come listening is so important. And we have to give ourselves pace, space, and grace to listen better. You know, I think about the pace, the space, and the grace, and my role, my obligation as someone who communicates, very early in my career, I was given feedback that I speak too quickly, and I was getting ahead of my audience, and my audience couldn't keep up and couldn't 
identify with the pace. It was too much for their brain, right? There was no space to think about my ideas. And really, they weren't on board because they were still trying to track with something I said 30 seconds ago, and I've moved on already. So I'm just... I'm really struck by this dance between the speaker and the listener, this constant tension in the world of communication and how that plays out. But do you have a reaction to that? Yeah, well, I love that you're actually focused on it. Many people are so focused on just broadcasting their information that they don't think about how people receive that information. And there are things that we can do to engage our audience better, to help them. Let me give you just a few suggestions. Well, we've already talked about how you need to tailor your messaging to your audience. That's the number one thing, because people will listen more if they feel it's more relevant and significant. Varying your voice, varying your rate draws people in. Our brains are wired for novelty. So if I talk just quickly the whole time and don't have any variation in my speed, it becomes very traumatizing for the, for the brain to receive. But if I speak quickly and then I slow down to emphasize, all of a sudden I'm drawing you in. Similarly, I can put some engaging content in what I say to draw you in. So I might say something like, as you know, all of a sudden you're now part of it instead of me just telling you. I might use an analogy or ask a question. That's a way of bringing you in. I can use what I call time traveling language. I can take you into the future. I could say, what if we could or what would it be like if, and you begin to see those alternatives in your mind versus me just telling you. So there are things we can do as communicators to make our messages easier to listen to. And I'm not talking about the content. I'm just talking about how we deliver it and some of these engagement tools. And that can really help others listen. Yeah. You know, I think when I was younger, I was a little suspicious of some tips because they felt performative. And now I think as an older woman, I just turned 49 years old, I realize that performance is key and communicating clearly and effectively is key. And it's not, performance is not disingenuous. It actually gets us to a shared understanding a little bit faster. I don't know. What do you think about that? So I, I, my hackles come up a little bit around the word perform because performing to me is separate from being, like an actor performs a role. It is separate from who they are. And I think the best communication is genuine, authentic, and connected. So I would, I would use a synonym for perform. I would say presence or delivery, right? So I want to focus on how I come across in terms of my nonverbal presence, my delivery. Performing to me is, is a separation. It, it's very similar, and I, I don't mean to take us on a tangent, but to me, there's a difference between reacting and responding. Reacting is to act again. That's literally what it means. Responding means to be in the moment. So we can connect in the moment, or we can perform this interaction. And I would much rather people connect and be present. But beyond the semantics, I totally agree with what you're saying. No, I, I love on it. Delivery. No, and I think that's such an interesting distinction because I think for a long time, it does feel like a performance if you're not good at it and it's hard and it's challenging and you're definitely not in the moment, but you're trying to get to common understanding and you're not trying to get ahead of your skis. So I, I definitely see that. And I would hope that at some point in my journey and other people's journey, um, it gets a little bit easier. You can go in the flow. You've built on your skills. You've, you've developed talent to be able to communicate more effectively. I think that's how I see it. But in many situations, especially around my family, to be quite honest with you, Oh boy, it's still a performance. <laughs> well, but it, it, having a performance implies that there's a right way and a wrong way to do it, 
right? You think about performers, an athlete performs their sport, a musician performs their songs. We carry around this right and wrong way. And I think that puts us in a very challenging dynamic to communicate authentically and in, in, in the present moment. There is no right way to communicate. There are better ways and worse ways, but there is no one right way. And when we put that added pressure on ourselves, it makes it more difficult. That's why I, I bristle against this notion of performance, because to me, it implies that there's a right way to do it. And instead, just connecting, just being present, just getting the job done frees you up to be better at it. And I certainly understand that the roles we have, I as a parent, you as a parent, I as a teacher, these roles come with some performance expectations, and it's hard to let go of those. But when you do, it's actually incredibly freeing, and in my experience, actually brings out more authentic, genuine connection and communication. Well, Matt, we had the therapy session. There we go. I love it. Thank <laughs> you so much. I really the appreciate that. The bill's in the well, mail. Listen, I, I, I'm going to gladly pay it. And I do, before we wrap up the conversation, want to talk about your really brilliant podcast. You mentioned Andrew Huberman has been a guest. Like, tell us about the podcast and what we can expect to hear if we have a listen. Thank you so much. So Think Fast, Talk Smart's uh, been around for over four years. And we are all about communication. Like you, we have very short, bite-sized episodes. In fact, we were, uh, among other prestigious awards, we were awarded Best Dog Walking Podcast and, and Best uh, Commute Podcast because we try to keep it short. Every episode focuses on a specific communication issue or topic with the idea that we can all hone and develop our communication. And I, I get the, I have the true pleasure of interviewing people who are experts in their field around communication, both academics and practitioners. We have uh, episodes coming up on how to be more effective in meetings, how to connect better and, and foster a sense of belonging, how to persuade, negotiate, all of these issues that we deal with through communication. So I encourage everybody to give a listen and hopefully hone and develop your communication skills. Well, I am certainly excited to send everybody over to the podcast and to read your wonderful book. If people want to learn more and find you, where where should they go? Excellent. Well, thank you for that opportunity and for this great conversation. Uh, you can find a lot about me at mattabrahams.com, lots of free resources, videos, articles, etc. Also, how I, you can connect with me in terms of coaching or, or other work. And I'm a huge user of LinkedIn. If you're on LinkedIn, would love to connect with you there as well. Amazing. We'll include all that good stuff in the show notes. And once again, thanks for being a guest today. Thank you so much. I enjoyed the conversation. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Punk Rock HR. Show notes and more can be found on punkrockhr.com. This episode was expertly produced by Emerald City Productions, and we would all appreciate it if you left us a five-star review. So go to wherever you stream your podcasts like Apple or Spotify or iHeartRadio and leave that five-star review and your thoughts on the episodes themselves. Now, that's all for today, and I really hope you enjoyed it. We will catch you next time on Punk Rock HR.